Welcome aboard episode six of Riding the Bus, the official Iowa Wild podcast presented by Explore Minnesota is on the way. Ben Gislason, voice of the Iowa Wild, head of marketing for the Iowa Wild, Joey Goldstein, BG and JG, the first time coming up with that little fun uh, acronym play there. And uh, it's great to be back. Looking forward to this week's guest, obviously, in Joe Hicketts. Uh, A wonderful chat with Joe, which everyone I've ever had with him, even when he's been mad at me about a bad travel day, has been great. (laughs) Um, But we're here to talk about some other things first. But first and foremost, um, if you're on YouTube, you can see it. If you're listening on, on one of the different ways that you can listen to this podcast. You might be able to hear my, my chin guard on my uh, my cage here rubbing up against the, the headset. I am wearing full hockey gear, uh, literally head to toe, as Show promised. The skates. I've got there skates. There we go. Look at that. Um, you know, we've got... Got the, the cup. cup I got the cup on. Wow. Every I full like I was. It's funny. If I was, there was one area like you, you probably could have skipped on. Nope. <laughs> but <laughs> no. But then, but then, but then your socks wouldn't stay up because you have that's the, true. You have the, the velcro. Know, they, oh, there's none hanging up. Sometimes there's the garter belts that just have like the hooks. That's true. But no, no. But oftentimes the cup's connected to that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, it's funny. I was putting it on going. You you're so used to when you're putting gear on, you're at least going to go skate, and yeah. I, I was kind of like. Dang, I'm gonna have to just do this podcast and then take it all off. I I couldn't even go out and skate on the ice right now if I wanted to for five minutes yeah. if we were doing it during the season. But uh, it's good to be here. I've not been sweating as much as I thought I was going to be sweating down here. It's cooler down here. Yeah, than I, I thought mean it was to going ask to be. you about that. See, I got down here after you guys did, and the, the first thing I said to Marquise when I walked in after oh, I, I asked know him how his going. vacation was was it's a little bit cooler in here than it has been the last couple weeks. I don't know if Ben was maybe you know, doing a little fidgeting with the temperatures to make sure he didn't sweat sweat it all out because that is that was one of the no comment. the things we had talked about. A I can neither weeks confirm nor deny that. So, uh, but you know, credit to you, you lost the home run derby, which we all knew was going to happen. Pistol Pete let me down. Yeah, we all knew it was going to happen, and uh, yeah, here we are. I, we we went and watched it together. Yep. Uh, there was a point where I was a little concerned. Well, especially with the bet you doubled down on. Yeah. Which yeah. I think you should share. Yeah, so we basically said when Albert Pujols got out of the first round, I had said, listen, there's no way this guy's going to win. If he does win, I'll do the next four episodes in full hockey gear. <laughs> um, and sure enough, he was very, very close to at least advancing to the finals. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Juan Soto pulled it off, got me the win. That's the first I even le- I legitimately didn't even – see who won. I someone asked me I weird I weird I was well, I went home we, yeah, we I left, didn't even well, look who won cuz we the final started and I think I had both guys I had yes. Rodriguez and Soto so that's when we kind of called it it was yeah. that was a nice little it's past my bedtime I had to nice go home little, go to sleep nice little feeling and then uh yeah I went went back home and I just watched the rest of it just to see how it I kind of like I didn't I would let's say I wouldn't say I watched it I just kind of had it on as background noise but um yeah I got to uh, Got to see how that all played out, which the Home Run Derby, awesome event. It's something like I think never gets old just watching guys hit the ball 480 yeah. feet or whatever. I mean, it's pretty cool. They got to they gotta retool that whole format. The bracket style is Julio Rodriguez hit 81 home runs over the course of the night and <laughs> lost. Like, that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. So they got to get rid of the bracket style. I think they just do eight guys. They all go up and hit. You take the top four, advance them, top two after that. Those are my thoughts on the home run derby. Well, and we were saying, too, one thing that would, I think, even even more greatly add to the the intrigue of the home run derby, which I, I agree, it, it really brought back to me. I remember watching 
Sosa and Maguire. That was that was the for for our generation. Just a lot. Maybe for a lot of them, that was like the home run derby because yeah. that whole year everybody was glued to baseball. Yep. Um, for for the Sosa Maguire showdown, but um, one thing you and I were talking about was sort of how the NFL does it with the Pro Bowl is like they have like this more skills than just hitting home runs, mm -hmm. whether it's hitting balls to targets or I, the one you brought up was it throws to home plate from left field, right field, center field, like, you know, gunning guys down like that. Um, you know, that would be a fun, interesting little nuance to, to change it up a little bit. And it would get more people involved too. Cause yeah. you only really have the big sluggers that are coming out and, and, mm -hmm. and swinging the bats, which again, home run derby should stay the home run derby, but it'd be fun to expound on that a little bit, maybe add a little more and, and get more people included too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do something for the pitchers, maybe do some kind of mm -hmm. accuracy thing. I don't know. There's work. That's that's the beauty of home run derbies. That's never going to get old, but they can do a little bit more with their all star festivities. I think. Yeah, yeah. But. Um, good to be back. Good to be heard. Good to be seen. Per usual, episode six. Uh, Joe Hickett's on the way. We do have some tenure tidbits presented by Explore Minnesota to get to, and I read enough reads during the season, and so I thought now would be a great time to see your uh, reading ability. Yeah, Joey. Which is yes. I think sometimes it can be hit or miss. But yeah, unintended on home run derby. Nice, yeah, there you nice, go. Yeah. nice. Unintentional. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, tenure tidbits presented by Explore Minnesota. Minnesota is home to one of the most vibrant arts and culture scenes in the country, from culturally curious spam museum in the south to a replica Viking ship in the north to everything in between. Be sure to also experience the nationally acclaimed Guthrie Theater, Walker Art Center, Paisley Park, and so much more. Visit exploreminnesota.com to begin your dream vacation. Been to all of those. I've not been to the Spam, except the Spam Museum. I can't remember the name of the place that has the Viking ship. Actually, Concordia College, the gear I'm wearing, uh, I believe the Viking ship is located in Moorhead, which is where Concordia College is. Oh, there's there you a, go. There's a fun tidbit, yeah. too. Yeah. Well, we were just talking when we came on today, too. Marquise was, was up in northern Minnesota mm -hmm. doing some... Some fishing, spending some time out there, a little vacation, kind of some R&R &R for him. And he mentioned he uh, got his little fishing guide. And sure enough, Explore Minnesota. Right there. Boom. Right there in front of him. Now, glory is awesome. And so is Explore Minnesota. So thanks for sponsoring the show. Let's get you some tidbits. You've got them. Yeah. So uh, I think the, the biggest, well, there's there's some, there's a lot of big news. And the biggest probably being the, the schedule. But before we mm -hmm. kind of get into that and break it down, we did have some, some more signings. For the Wild, on the AHL side of things, we got some new faces to the Hockey Op staff. So let's quickly dive into the signings, and, and I'll kind of I'll rattle off the names. I'll, I'll roll over to you to kind of sort through or, or mention a few things mm -hmm. about the guys uh, that you think stand out maybe the most. Um, last names, we got Ronning, Kaspik, Balmus, Connolly, and Curry. So guys who have some, some ECHL experience, guys who are coming fresh out of college, um, you know, I, I think it's was it it's Conley's mm -hmm. coming right out of Nebraska UNL. Omaha. Uh, Patrick Curry played at BU for a little bit, but spent some time with Grand Rapids. Balmas spent some time in Worcester, the ECHL side. Caspic was a Hartford guy. Uh, 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 Springfield. Springfield yeah, played in the final. Yeah, Springfield yeah. guy, and then uh, and and Ty Ronning, 
who's yep. got some connections to Minnesota, which you wanted to. And there's Hartford, um, and and I I don't admittedly know as much just innately uh, about Mitchell Balmus. Uh, the same for Kevin Conley. Only what I could find when I was writing up the press release, um, you know, for the announcement a couple weeks back now. Um, Patrick Curry saw him. He was a, a depth player for Grand Rapids. Those guys signing two-way AHL deals. So. Um, you know, might be similar to a guy like uh, Bryce Gervais from last season, a Chris Bennett from last season. Um, you saw uh, uh, Bryce Misley coming up and down a little bit and contributing. So you might see th- these guys be more of that type. Now, w- could see they could come into camp and they could really showcase they deserve to be at the American League level, and all of a sudden here they are as full-time AHLers. That's the beauty of those two-way deals is those guys that, have to prove that they that belong to be here. The same goes for the NHL two-way deals, too. It works the same way. I think there were a couple guys last year who made that case as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Bryce Gervais was here all year pretty Nate much. I think is another guy like mm-hmm. that who, who Correct. came in and proved that, nope, this is where I deserve to be, and they were kind of staples in the lineup majority mm-hmm. of the year. Mm-hmm. And for the other two, Tanner Kaspik, uh, center Iceman, which is the one thing I, I think about, and it's been interesting now to see all the center signings. Talk, talk about Nick Butan. We'll talk about Nick Butan with Joe Hicketts. They were teammates uh, with the World Junior together for Team Canada. But that was one thing that early on last year when Connor Dewar proved he was going to be more Minnesota than he was Iowa, all of a sudden there was a problem with center Iceman. Bryce Gervais was playing center all year long, he was taking, by the end of the year, important D-zone face-offs. And I remember about midway through the season, I sat down with them to said, you know, tell, he's made me a, a wing, but tell me about some other times you had to play center. And he goes, I've never played center before. Yeah. It's my first year doing it. So, uh, you know, he, he took a, a big role for the team that he didn't expect to maybe have, and he was a good centerman for them. But they didn't have centers. And for me, goaltending, equate that to pitching in baseball, you have to have that to win. That's the number one most important position. But even though I'm a defenseman, defensemen have pairings. There's two defensemen. I look at the singular most important player position, in my opinion, it's centers. And it's why you typically see centers get drafted earlier in those, those top four or five picks. You see a lot of centers coming out of there because, yes, getting that that perennial 50-goal scorer can really help too, but someone who can create, who can score, who can also solidify your defensive zone, win face-offs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do so much, centers do, and so it's no surprise to me to see that that, that Mike Murray and, and Bill Guerin in tandem working uh, and Chris O'Hearn, kind of the trio that are working to put this group together, that centers have become big for this club because that was one thing last year I think that hurt. There were some nights, I, I think there was a trip to, to Winnipeg when COVID hit uh, this team and Minnesota where I think they had one natural center in the lineup. I think it was Dominic Turgeon was the one natural center they had in the game because the depth chart, it just wasn't there. Because again, yeah. Connor Dewar was, I think, supposed to probably be here at the beginning of the year more than he was, and all of a sudden he was gone, and then everything gets thrown into disarray from a center ice perspective. So they're loading up. That doesn't surprise me. Um, Ty Ronning, not a center. He's the guy I know the most about. I had a really good year in Hartford. I think he was just shy of 40 points. Um, so another guy you think about, Stephen Fogarty, who was north of 40 points. So some players that have come in now that can prove they can score at the American League level. Nick Patan had a good American League season last year. Um, but Ronning, uh, the, the son of Cliff Ronning, who if any Minnesota fans are, are tuning in here like myself was, uh, that 2003 Western Conference Finals run that, that Minnesota made, which was just so magical. He was a massive part of that team, um, and, and I know from people that I, I know that have played on that team, friends that I have that, that now work in hockey as, an, as, as coaches that were players on that team, 
they loved, loved, loved Cliff Ronning as a human, as a person, as a leader in the room. He was one of the older guys on that team at the time. I remember he had he would he broke so many sticks in the blue line because I think he used a really whippy shaft, mm-hmm. and he had a great shot, but. Especially at that time, as as that was really 03, composite sticks were just kind of coming in. So the guys were just snapping them left and right. And he used a really whippy stick and took a lot of one-timers. And I remember there was a few times, I think even in the playoffs, where he got loaded up for a great one-timer opportunity, stick snaps, and then it's a two-on-one the other way. He's a forward playing a two-on-one rush. Yeah, like, you're just it, like, oh, my like, gosh. That's a nightmare scenario <laughs> yeah. if you're, you're a coach. That's like the last thing you want to see. And what do you do? Back. You're not going to tell him to not take one-timers because yeah. most time he gets them off, they're creating great scoring chances right. or he's scoring himself. But, no, I remember Cliff running really, really well, wore number 77, and I believe uh, running – Ty Ronning wore seven at Hartford, so I'll be curious with the departure of Kevin Churchman. Um, does potentially Ty Ronning get to wear seven here, um, um, which I, I think I think was Cliff's number before he got to Minnesota. He wore 77, uh, I believe, because seven was taken at the time. He came over. Maybe in a trade, I'm not totally sure on that, but um, pretty cool to see that, and, and hopefully uh, Ty is, is much like his father in the room um, because that's – Again, when you get guys that can create on the ice but also can create that mm-hmm. great culture in the room, we've talked about it at length, but that's what Bill Guerin's trying to do. I know it's what Mike Murray's trying to do here down in Des Moines as well. Yeah, and you talked about center depth being so important, and, and we've heard Tim talk about that mm-hmm. in depth as well when we've had uh, you know VIP chats or chats with season ticket holders, kind of your coach's corner, where he's talked about that's how he, he structures his team is all around center depth. And he, he admitted those times where you mm-hmm. talked about last year, we didn't have centers, it, it, it hurt. And because that's his whole offense kind of funnels through that and his whole system funnels through that. So it is nice to see that depth. Uh, curious to see what happens with all these signings and who's going to get what number. I think that's something that probably – I would assume maybe this week. I know Shakey's who just got married. Congratulations. Yeah, to no Shakey. kidding. All um, right. That's Richard another Shakey tenure Krause. tidbit. Yep. Shakey got married. Uh, he's coming back this week from his honeymoon. Uh, I believe he's going to start reaching out to some of these new guys, probably getting some information from them, including probably what numbers they're going to wear. But uh, we do have some new faces as well on the hockey operations side. Well, and another guy who just got married uh, in our, our new strength and conditioning coach, Andrew Kaser. Uh, I think it might have been the same weekend as Jakey. Um, mm-hmm. So a couple uh, pairs of congratulations, congratulations. To, to people joining the marriage club. Yeah, it's a great club to be in. Um, so congratulations to Andrew as well and his wife and also uh, Richard. I don't call him that very often, Shaky. Um, but I heard Shaky was doing the limbo down in the Bahamas on his honeymoon. So uh, that's that's great to, to he's getting to have some fun when guys like him don't get to get away very often because they are the hardest working people in hockey, yeah. in my opinion. Um, so a huge shout out to those guys. But yes, Andrew Kaser announced that this week as the new strength and conditioning coach, with of course Matt Harder uh, moving up to Minnesota. Also, uh, the Iowa Wild announcing new uh, athletic trainer, head athletic trainer in Dan Barker. Um, Dan comes from Wheeling where Tim Army's son, Derek, coaches. Uh, and it's funny, he was Dan. My first opportunity meeting Dan was up at development camp a couple of weeks back now. And I said, so early on now, your early dealings with Tim, how similar, how different? He goes, spitting image, just the exact same. Wow. <laughs> I was just like, it just, he's like, it was eerie right away watching him. I'm like, that's so great. Um, and nice for Dan, too, because I can speak on this. Anybody that works in, in a hockey operations staff can speak on this you do have to learn how to um, work with coaches and you, you learn what they like, you learn what they don't like. And so he might have a little bit of a leg up right away because I'm sure he's had a few experiences with Derek where he's realized Derek doesn't like this. I'm sure he can maybe either 
learning from Derek on that from experience or just even ask Derek, like, hey, what's Tim gonna, going to think mm -hmm. of this? Um, and so both Dan and Andrew, uh, we're excited to have them. Andrew comes from uh, actually the, the, the KHL in Russia. Um, so I'd, I'd love to get some stories from him. And actually, he, before he was in the KHL, he was in uh, China in, I'm going to get this wrong, the Zendaya Dea Hockey League, Women's Professional Hockey League over in Asia. So um, this is a guy who's, who's seen the world through hockey, which to me is always fascinating and to see how different, not only different organizations do things, but how do different countries and leagues do things like that so uh he he's not come in yet he was on his honeymoon during uh development camp so we didn't see him but always good to get new blood nice for me to not be the rookie anymore too yeah. i get the greenhorn status which shaky always likes to still call me every once in a while the yeah. greenhorn he's a big deadliest catch guy that was a fun first year uh, nickname for me um but great to have some new people involved and they'll bring some fresh perspectives as not only the uh team taking shape on the ice but the team off the ice and the support staff taking shape too yeah, I would love to to bring him on and, yeah. and chat about, you know, the KHL and and see what that was all all like. We hear stories, right? If you listen to Spitting Chicklets, they go in depth about some of the, the crazy stories. So I'm sure he's got a lot, but just from his point of view, kind of the 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 way he's dealt with things, how things differ from the way they do over here in the American League and the National League. So. I think that'd be a now that he's back from his honeymoon. Maybe somebody we get on here in the next couple of weeks. I don't think to, Andrew was uh, probably ad administering much of the Russian gas the Spit and Chicklets guys <laughs> talk yeah. about. Especially yeah. now, he definitely won't be able to bring that over and use yeah. that in the yeah. American League. But uh, yeah, agreed. Would be really fun to to check in with him. I know I'll do it off off podcast. Just yeah. I'm, and I've told him this. I said I can't wait to sit down and talk sure. to you and learn more about the experiences you had and uh, Matt Harder has just spoken glowingly about him and said he's really eager to get here so that's Good. you know it's a group that's excited to be here um, that's for sure that's awesome and mm -hmm. then sorry to so the last 10-year tidbit uh, schedules out as of last week the schedule is out long awaited uh, I know I've been waiting a long time for it to come out I know everybody upstairs in the office has just been waiting because there's only so much you can do there's only so much planning you can do mm -hmm. before you actually get the dates but now we've got the dates the schedule is out uh, Instant reaction. What are your thoughts? Well, my first reaction right away was our Pacific swing is wonderful. Um, you know, it, it's nice to get San Diego in there. Um, we got a full two days off in San Diego. So, I mean, part jealous. of me, yeah, part of me so looks at jealous. that and goes, this is going to be just a blast. Um, you know, we get Colorado in there. I, if, you, if anybody tuned into the broadcast last year, I think I just went on and on yeah. about Colorado and the way that they their game ops run things, the smaller building. It's loud. It's crazy in there. Um, so excited to go back um, and just, you know, going to Colorado. I, I enjoy going to Colorado. I enjoy going to Denver. So getting to go there will be great. Um, you know, the, the the one I probably skipped over that I shouldn't have skipped over is Palm Springs. Uh, brand new team, brand new building. I believe Acrisure Arena is the name yep. of their arena. From what I've been told, they're making just a junior version of, of uh, Seattle's barn. Um, so it's going to be state-of-the-art. Uh, it was Climate Pledge Arena. Am I getting that right yep. with uh, with Seattle? Here we go. Good job, Ben. Um, so looking forward to seeing that building, to seeing Palm Springs, getting out into the desert a little bit. Um, enjoyed going to Tucson last year, but it'll be nice to have a desert portion of the Pacific trip yeah. and then well, it's you just know, nice the more California trip. It's nice to see places. It's just, so. and it's just nice to see. I mean, they're a brand-new team. This is the yeah. first year they're going to be around, so to, to be lucky enough to have them on our schedule as a an out of division opponent, I think is a is a cool opportunity for fans too to see just new jerseys, new new prospects coming mm -hmm. in. 
That's going to be an exciting piece for sure. Didn't see a ton of three and threes on there. I saw there's one nasty one in November, I think, where we play it like – they're not we. I don't play on the team. They play it like three uh, and Sunday in Chicago after going through, I believe it's – Grand Rapids, maybe. Yeah, maybe it's Grand Rapids, Milwaukee. It's some. It's something where we're. Yeah. You play late, and then yeah. you have five hours to go to Chicago. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, what are we gonna? Those are the days yeah. that I just. I have a hard enough time getting ready for the broadcast. I'm like, how do these players do yeah. it? Um, but I, other than that, that's the one that stood out. A lot of home and homes. Those will be tough, but they're tough for both teams. Yeah. It's not like a three and three where Chicago's sitting there waiting for you mm-hmm. in their own beds. Home and home with Chicago, which I think there's at least one of those. You play here, and then they're they're traveling on this, you know, almost yep. the same time you are. Now we have to get checked into a hotel, but um, and, and there's a couple times where we go somewhere and then we come back. So um, yeah, I, I think it, and the 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 overall verbiage that I heard from Mike Murray was he was happy with it. I think Todd Fredrickson was happy with it. I, I think from a promotional standpoint, your group is happy yep. with it. Um, and, and on that note, the one thing that I'm really excited about is having a school day game again because yep. those not only just you know people in seats, but the number of people that come to those games are, are fantastic. Loudest but game of the year. It is. I, I, I was joking when I, I went on a, a show with Andy Hall on Laser 103.3 last week. I said I think I almost need to put in – earplugs under my headsets because it's just it's shrill and mm-hmm. it's loud and I know the players as much as right away I think they're kind of like a little bit like whoa I think eventually they're like this is really fun you get you get acclimated to the constant shrill drone mm-hmm. but it's uh it's just an atmosphere unlike any other and I know a lot of teams do it but it's great for us to get it back here in Des Moines because I know um th- to have the school buses out lined up at, at, at the north parking lot here it's all it's a sea of yellow and it's a sea of kids inside Wells Fargo Arena which is just outstanding yeah yeah, uh, the schedules. It's always an exciting, an exciting day when it comes out. Uh, you know, there's certainly certain things that I look for immediately. I mean, I'm I'm not looking as much for three and threes. I think the biggest thing I'm looking for when the schedule comes out <laughs> is when are some of those gaps, especially for someone who's not from Des Moines. Like I look for the gaps around holidays and things like mm-hmm. that. When may I be able to go back and see family, things of that nature? Uh, obviously, for me, on a personal note. I circled immediately opening weekend against San Jose. Yeah. So I'm very much looking forward to that series, getting to see some some familiar faces coming in here uh, as, as visitors, but also I want to beat them by 50 both <laughs> nights. So uh, certainly going to push for that. Um, but like you talked about the, the promotional side of things, I think hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll be able to roll out a promo schedule. We've got some fun things in the works that I'm excited to be able to share with everybody. Uh, things are, are fairly spread out. Uh, for the most part, very, very heavy at home in December and January, which will be nice because that's kind of the time when, you know, Iowa and Iowa State have finished up playing football and high school football has come mm-hmm. to a close. So it's really, you know, Iowa Wild Hockey is your, your premier pro sports team here in Des Moines. So that's kind of the time where you normally ramp up anyways. Um, hopefully that gives us some good momentum too on the ice. Gets, you get some good crowds here. Players feed off it. You get some wins to kind of carry you through that second half of the season and make a push for playoffs. I skipped San Jose because I figured you'd bring them up. Um, we go there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, new new building as well. Yep, they're uh, also San in a new Jose. Building. So a, a couple of new buildings that we're getting to see this year. Um, I'll definitely be picking your brain when we're in San Jose for where I need to be eating. Uh, There's that, a couple good spots for sure. Spots yeah, for sure. I know. I'm, I'm actually I'm heading out there in September to officiate a wedding, and uh, I've already got places circled on my list of places I got to hit. In between there, so Jack of all trades, master of none. Joey yeah, Goldstein, I can do it all. 
just not everything well. Right? <laughs> uh, on to Joe Hicketts, yeah. who we need to get to him as quickly as possible because we, we knew it would be a good episode, and it was. Uh, mm-hmm. He is one of the more fascinating people I think you can come across. I, we were joking when we stopped recording with him. I think he had to go to a – we, we could have made him late for his workout, I think, because yeah. you know we were, we kind of wrapped it up, and then he had one more fishing story to tell, and then you know we got into talking about his cowboy kind of persona that he that he wants to, to, to put out, and we talked about the, the Canadian tuxedo, which has really taken on a life of its own within the room but also within our fan base, and you guys did such a tremendous job of capitalizing on that from a marketing standpoint. Um, but, you know, in, in a sentence or two, how would you encapsulate this interview with Joe Hicketts? I mean, it's as entertaining as, as we expected him to yeah. be. Uh, keep an eye out. At one point, he does flip his teeth out. So uh, that's something everybody should be keeping an eye out for. Just, you know, hearing some of the stories. Guy loves to fish. Um, you know, obviously, he's he's won a call their cups. So You're hearing about that and kind of his time, how he spent that day with the cup um, is, is all is all interesting. And he, this guy also won a gold medal at the World Juniors with a team that was just loaded with talent. And yeah. Got to play with the, Connor the McDavid, which is geez. Well, which the is thing awesome. that he talked about, too, that I love was Connor McDavid. He said at the time that wasn't, it, was, it wasn't him. Second line center, he, he said. Second line team, to who? Is, uh, who did he say? I forget. Was it now, Batan? Now a member of the, uh, the Minnesota Wild organization. That's right. So, I mean, first line not guy. that we're going to, at this point, compare Nick Batan to who Connor McDavid is. But at the time, I mean, Nick Batan's coming in here with, with a great pedigree, and we've talked yeah. about him, and, and Joe agreed with all everything and yeah. said that he's excited that he's a part of the organization now, too. So um, that's that's plenty from us. Let's get to the, the horse's mouth himself in uh, the one, the only Iowa Wild defenseman, Joe Hicketts. It's period two of Riding the Bus, the official Eye of a Wild podcast presented by Explore Minnesota. A hockey equipment clad Ben Gislason joined by Joey Goldstein and more importantly joined by Iowa Wild defenseman Joe Hicketts. Uh, we've been looking forward to this one all week. Uh, Joe's a guy who brings a lot on the ice, but certainly brings a lot off of the ice too, including one hell of a Canadian tuxedo outfit. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to do this. I know you guys just started, but um, hopefully we can, you know, entertain some people. Well, you certainly do plenty of that, Joe. Uh, first off, let, let's talk about, um, what we always talk about with our, our guests. And again, the whole idea is we want to put people on the bus with players, with executives, with whoever it is we have on. And so we like to ask as an opening question, is there one singular bus story that stands out in the mind of Joe Hicketts? Everybody has them where things have gone wrong or maybe things have gone right. But when you think about your time on the bus, is there one story that pops out that is more hilarious than the next? Um, uh, yeah, I think so. A lot of them have to do with stuff going wrong because you never remember the smooth trips. And I think you know that for sure. But um, definitely the best bus story is probably our first trip to Winnipeg last year um we couldn't get flights so ben said he couldn't get flights so uh we ended up busing to winnipeg and we went to fargo the first day and then minnesota had um a bunch of covid and and uh, they were testing in the morning but we couldn't go across the border until uh minnesota had all their um tests back so <laughs> we we went to this mall in fargo i think there's about 12 stores in there and maybe one coffee shop and we're all in our Iowa tracksuits after practice in, in the middle of nowhere, um, waiting to go to Winnipeg. And luckily, we had two guys get called up, which because if no one got called up, I would have been furious. 
but uh, two guys got called up, which kind of made the trip worth it for those guys. And, and to see those guys go up was, was cool. And, um, but yeah, that 12 hour bus ride split up in Fargo at the mall was uh, something I won't forget anytime soon. And I rode in the jump seat all the way up. I was, I, I was sitting right next to Bussy all the way up. That was uh, a very well, memorable you were probably trip. Working, yeah. You were yeah. probably working, trying to get flights arranged and hotels booked and everything. So, yeah, that's, I won't forget that. Actually, it's funny with all the, the the things that have happened already in my young career as a team services man. That I kind of forgot about that one a little bit. But yeah, we were just sort of milling around outside of the mall uh, there in Fargo for was it probably two hours? It was like two there? hours, two and a half hours. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, like I've had buses break down in the middle of intersections and that stuff just kind of goes by, but when you get held up at a mall in a small town for something as crazy as that, and I mean, the last two years have been crazy, but um, I think that was just icing on the cake at that point. I got a question uh, to get us off of uh, stories from the bus and just more into you, Joe. Do, do you still have that GR cutout of yourself from when you played in Grand Rapids? I know that was a staple of uh, you and Adam Beckman's apartment last year. Does, is that around anywhere? Yeah, I do have it. It's actually in this office I'm in, but I don't want to grab it. (laughs) (laughs) It's behind me somewhere. (laughs) I do have it, though. And that actually ended up back in in Des Moines on the bus, too. Someone thought it'd be funny to put that on the bus. Well, someone hanging in my stall in Grand Rapids one of the times we were there. And then um, (laughs) someone threw it on the bus. So when we got back, I had it. it It's actually kind of cool. So I kept it brought it back home but uh yeah i have it here still your time in grand rapids was obviously one that has turned you into the player the person that you are now but going back even further than that the one thing that stands out about joe hicketts to me is you're someone that in a lot of ways has has defied some odds and i know you probably had to talk at length about being an undersized defenseman but an undrafted player that has played national hockey league games that has been a superb american hockey league defenseman now um, over your the course of your career that includes time here in iowa last season but but when you think about what you've done in your career, what are the things maybe you're proudest of and how do you think you've gotten to where you've gotten to? Because we do have young players listening to this podcast that are in similar situations might be coming in somewhere thinking, well, I'm, I'm not this guy or I'm not this guy. I'm not drafted in the USHL. I'm not drafted in the NHL, what, what have you. When you think about who you are as a player, Joe, what stands out to you? Well, I think um, you know going through that, you know, the hardship of – well, I, I mean, I got hurt my my draft year when I was in Western League in Victoria, um, not getting drafted. That it it's definitely it, it knocks you down a couple couple levels. And um, you know, was fortunate enough to go to you know Detroit's camp, obviously uh, Grand Rapids affiliate, uh, the Red Wings, and uh, was able to earn a contract within the first three months being there. Um, so I think that's got to be one of my proudest memories. Um, you know, working through, you know, that seven, eight month period of, of getting, uh, being out for three months, missing half a season to uh, earning an NHL contract. And if I remember correctly, I think like between all the draft guys, I think I was maybe like the 15th guy signed that year from that draft class. And I wasn't even drafted. So that's something that, you know, I hung my hat on a, a long time and obviously spring springboarded me towards, you know, these other opportunities that, uh, got to play two world juniors for team Canada and, and without signing and, and having the camps I did in Detroit, I don't know if that opportunity presents itself. Um, 
so there's that memory. Um, obviously, winning a Calder Cup, that's something you can't beat. Um, you know, it, it's the top prize of the American Hockey League and, and really um, springboarded my career, you know, as I started pro. Uh, sometimes I wish it didn't happen my first year because you think it's going to happen every year now. But, um, no, it, it's been really exciting. And then um, making the move to Iowa uh, last season in Minnesota, that's the first really team change I've had in 10 years, uh, you know, stayed with the same junior team. And then you grow up. So like between the junior team and then moving with your first contract, you get so comfortable with that situation in Detroit. So being able to move and kind of adapt to new city, new surroundings, new teammates, new personnel, new management. Um, proud of myself for doing that too. And uh, it's been a really good fit and, and, you know, I love the, uh, the organization that Minnesota has and the city of Des Moines as a whole. So I want to I get to World Juniors. I want to get to the Calder Cup. Uh, but we're talking about being, you know, an undersized defenseman. But you play like you're 6'5". Was that always part of your game or was that something you kind of had to mold once you made that jump from junior to pro hockey? No, I think it, it came with me to junior. Um, I grew early I think I was one of the bigger kids in you know Bantam and Midget and was able to to use my size and and play physical and then I think I learned how to hit and how to use my body at that age and that kind of allowed me to when when guys started catching up and getting bigger than me um in juniors and and especially in juniors because that's the first real taste of playing with men you have you're 16 year old playing against 19 20 year olds um, so learning how, well, knowing how to use my body in that situation, um, I think really helped into juniors. And then I guess one of those things I've, I've always liked the, the physical part of the game. I think, um, uh, I'm kind of like, you know, that bulldog in the corner trying to get the puck and, and trying to win those battles and, um, just something I took into pro. You talk about the corners, Joe, but the one thing I'd heard about you before I'd even really watched you play, checking in with what was when you were still with Grand Rapids with Bob Kaser, the the voice, the longtime legendary voice of the Grand Rapids Griffins. He, he brought this up the first time I met him. I was just talking about your team. I wasn't even working for the Wild yet. I was filling in on a, just a relief basis um, while I was still working in Des Moines in another organization. And he said, Joe Hicketts, watch out for him at open ice. And lo and behold, that game, I forget who you hit, but you blew somebody up at center ice. And I've seen it time and time and time again from you. As much as you do have that bulldog mentality, when it comes to open ice hitting, there's tactic to it as well. There's picking your spots. There's knowing when a guy's got his head down. And if you've watched Joe Hicketts play enough, you've seen Joe Hicketts throw that hit. Any open ice hits that stand out to you more than others in, in your long career where you went, I really caught this guy and I really hit him hard that maybe is your favorite open ice hit that you've thrown? I don't know if there's a favorite. I think I had one this season and I talked to you in the intermission, I think about it, but um, I forget. I honestly, I can tell you who it was with and, and who was it against and what time of the year it was. Um, it's something that just kind of happens fluidly throughout the game I think um it's not something you go searching for but when it does present itself you definitely got to get your luck in and um yeah finding someone with their head down is the key but um knowing when they're going to have the head down I think is more important uh when they're getting passes when they're making passes if you can get them within that you know split second of them receiving it or giving it uh you have a chance to to really you know make good contact and, and send them flying so 
Um, that's kind of what I look for. But to say, you know, the, do I remember one? I, I don't know if I know one you know, off the top of my head. It can go both ways, though, too, where a guy finds you're coming at the last second and then all of a sudden you're flat on your back. Do you have any memories of that happening where all of a sudden you get stood up even though you're trying to stand up someone at neutral? I mean, it's funny you, you think of those ones and, and you remember those a lot more. Um, again, like, don't really remember who it is, but you do remember you're going in to hit someone and they catch you and either you both fall down or you knock them off, but you fall down too. It, those ones hurt too. Those ones really hurt because they're ready for it. And that's like when two trucks glide. So those are definitely my least favorite ones. Um, but, you know, as a D-man, it's the same thing with me. Like if, if someone's coming to hit me and, and I don't know they're coming, it, it's easier to knock me off the puck. But if I know they're coming, especially down on the wall, I can, you know, use the glass, use the boards to kind of absorb that contact and then um, throw it back the other way. Um, so, yeah, it, it does go both ways and they hurt both ways. All right, so now going back to you know World Juniors, like you said, you got to play twice. One of those times you won a gold medal, and that team was just stacked with talent. It, Darnell Nurse, uh, Shea Theodore, Braden Point, Max Domi, Fabry Duclair, and then of course Connor McDavid. So, as there, you know, best player in the world right now. What was it like getting to play with him at such a young age? Was it immediate where you knew this guy is just? lights out so much better than everybody else. I mean, what were your thoughts on playing with someone with that, that kind of talent? Well, the, the special thing with that team is everyone kind of had that. Um, like, I think, I think Connor was our second line center. Like we knew he was good. Like we, we had heard all that, but we had, you know, Nick Patan who just recently signed with the organization, uh, him, Matt Stoney and Sam, uh, Sam Reinhardt were first line. Um, so you knew Connor was going to be, you know, something special. And, and obviously he was at that point and he continues to prove that every day and, and every season. Um, but to play with guys like that was, it was amazing to see what they did on a day-to-day -day basis um, for that three week period, whether it was those guys, whether it was Braden Point, who, you know, I grew up playing with spring hockey, he's from Calgary. So know him quite a bit, uh, know him well. Uh, Darnell Nurse, Shea Theodore, all these guys, Josh, Josh Morris in Winnipeg, all these guys, you know, they brought this different element. And when we put it together, um, it created this team that, you know, nothing could really go wrong. I think that tournament, um, that first one, I think we were tied for like eight minutes, seven and a half minutes total. We were never trailing a game. I think we scored in the first three minutes of most games. Um, so something like that is really special. And, uh, you see guys along the way, um, and you just kind of reminisce about that. And, uh, you know, I'm going to get to see Nick Patan for, for training camp, and who knows where it goes from there. But uh, it was definitely a special team. What can, so speaking of Nick, Nick Patan, what can Wild fans expect from him being a new face to the organization? What should they look out for this year? Well, he's a heck of a hockey player. He's got great visions, a great shot, and, um, you know, he's just – Maybe a, not not a big center, but he's maybe a smaller center, mid-sized center. But um, the amount of skill he has and what he can do with the puck is, um, you know, it, it's rarely seen. Uh, I think it threw me aback um, getting to play with him, even playing against him. He was in Portland in the Western League. So I played against him, you know, quite a bit. And 
the stuff he can do with the pocket is is magical almost and uh he's an exciting player to watch he creates a, a lot of opportunities uh he's very responsible uh he you know i think he plays a penalty kill plays power play so it's going to be a, a fun dynamic for you know the wild whatever wild he's with sure now moving forward a little bit you talked about the Calder cup which stings a little bit for me because you I was working in San Jose when you beat us in the Western Conference Finals. That series, though, was loaded with future NHL stars. Uh, you know, on the San Jose side, Timo Meyer, Barkley Goodrow, Jake Middleton, Kevin LeBanc. You guys had Tyler Bertuzzi, Thomas Nosek. So, I mean, and what I remember that series was, I mean, it was nasty. It was very physical. I mean, what do you remember most from that Western Conference Finals series? It was nasty. Both teams wanted that so bad. And I remember... Um, you know, I, we started there, it was a two, three, two. And so we start there and I think the first game, it was like one, nothing. And we're like, oh, we're in for a series here. We're like, there's going to be no goals scored. And it was just a carryover of, of the regular season. We went down there and I think one of the games was zero, zero shootout. So it was a one, nothing shootout win for someone. And we were like, oh, I guess the whole series is going to be one, nothing two one game. So we're going to have to lock it down, but, um, yeah. And it was one of those things I remember taping like two st- two new sticks up every game because you knew you're going to cross check something and break a stick. And that's kind of the magic of playoffs is you can get away with that. Um, especially at that point in, in a conference championship or conference final, you can get away with a little bit more stick work. And, you know, it was exciting. Um, I'm happy we won in five games because that's another travel story. Uh, if we lost game five in Grand Rapids, when we went back to San Jose, uh, they couldn't get enough flights for the whole team out there. So we were going to have two groups of guys. One, one group, one was going to have to bus to Chicago group two was going to have to bus to Detroit. We heard about this after, so it was kind of, you know, thankful we didn't have to, but so the one group was going to Chicago. They were flying to like Minneapolis down to Vegas and over to, uh, Oakland and then busing from Oakland. And then group two was going to Detroit to Chicago to they were flying to like uh, um, Sacramento from Chicago and they were busing. So if we lost that game, we would have been so mad. I don't think we would have won uh, the series if we had to go back to San Jose. It was that tough and the travel was that tough. So um, but yeah, it was uh, that was one of the funner series I've ever played in. Yeah, I just remember like. We, I mean, we had guys, we were battling injuries, but we had guys who were normally super composed, who would lose their composure because Tyler Bertuzzi was all up in their grill. It was yeah. just, that, that whole series was just nonstop, just physicality and nastiness. There was one point, uh, it was during one of the intermissions, and I, I don't know if you guys ever heard the story, if there was any talk about it when people came back onto the ice. I forget which game it was. Zamboni's going around in between intermissions. Stops at center ice. The Zamboni driver gets off and proposes to his girlfriend at center ice. What? But leaves, <laughs> the, but leaves the Zamboni running. So the hot water is just run at center ice, just running, putting nice like divots in center ice. Did that ever get back to you guys? I don't remember. Was there any talk like uh, we had to maybe have to delay the start of a period or something like that? Well, I can guarantee that happened in Grand Rapids because no, not knocking Grand Rapids Zamboni because I actually I knew them. I talked to them before every game, but. That's just something that happens there, I feel, playing there for five years. But I don't know if I've ever heard that. I feel like there was a delay at some point that series. Um, but I didn't know it was that. Yeah, his, like his, his 
his girlfriend at the time was riding the Zamboni, just like I guess, just caught up in everything that was happening, just forgot to turn the water off. It was. I just remember that I couldn't believe what I was seeing, what I was witnessing at Center Ice. My last one. So you guys win the Calder <laughs> oh Cup. Gosh. What? What did <laughs> you? Ridiculous. I mean, you guys get your day with the cup. How did you spend your day with the Calder Cup? What'd you do? Uh, so I was actually kind of fortunate. I came. It's not like the NHL. It's not like the Stanley Cup where they have a guy travel around with it. It's strictly thrown in the box and FedEx will deliver it. Yeah. Um, and it was supposed to go to Dan Cleary, who was on the team. And he had a hockey school going to Newfoundland. Um, but it wasn't going to get there in time to come back out here and stuff. So it actually went from Dylan Malkrath to Winnipeg to me about a day and a half early. So I actually had, you know, an extra day and a half with it, which was cool. So the first day, I didn't even realize I was going to get it. So it was just kind of showed up. So it was just kind of touring around and and showing friends and family. But, um, you know, the day I had planned, I uh, took it to, uh, you know, the city park uh, downtown. And they had a lot of kids camps going on. And, and we had set it up where they were going to have a, a street hockey game go on. So we brought it down there for an hour and a half or whatever, walked around with it, showed the kids and, and everything and took pictures and did some autographs. And then um, brought it back to my family's house and we did a, just an outdoor barbecue with friends and family. We probably had, you know, 50, 60, 70 people here and just, you know, had fun telling stories, thanking people. I wanted to invite people that not only helped me get there, but, you know, were a big part of me getting, you know, to the professional level and helping me win that. I think that was important that, you know, they got to share that with me uh, as much as I got to share that with them. Um, so a lot of people like that, uh, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and then obviously old coaches who, who, you know, I thought had the biggest impact on me, um, turning pro and then, yeah, just had fun with the buddies, you know, into the wee hours. Uh, it's not often that you get to, to, to win a Calder cup or win a, a major trophy like that, um, you know, at any point in your life. So, um, definitely did that. And then, uh, it was on its way at about 8am the next morning. So it, it happens quick, but, uh, I was thankful that I got to do it. I figured you'd take it out in the fishing boat with you, but you didn't do that. Didn't have time, I suppose. Well, I, uh, it was at the end of July. Um, so it was too hot to go fishing. Fish don't bite out here. <laughs> and they're very temperamental. <laughs> So I, I wanted to transition and segue there. That's my clunky uh, transition there as I threw yeah, the fishing works. in. Um, I know you fish a lot. One of my favorite memories on the bus with you this year, Joe, you and I were in, in locked in a great cribbage battle. Um, and I think I just said, Joe, tell me a fishing story. And he told me a great fishing story. So now that we're, you're, we're back on the bus, the proverbial bus here on the podcast, tell me a fishing story. Well, it's probably going to be a different one, but that's Good, okay. I hope so. I'd like uh, to hear from yeah. you. I don't know. I was telling this one the other day to some people, but it might be the same one. I don't know. Uh, it was back when I was in Victoria. I might have been after that, going back there. I don't know. Anyways, um, we're going out, you know, ocean fishing, trying to catch some salmon. So we dropped crab traps on the way out. Just, you know, if you don't catch a fish and you get skunked, it's always that last little glimmer of hope, you know, pull hand bombing some four crab traps up and, um, you know, hoping to get some, but it's a foggy morning and, and nothing's really, it's dense. You can't really see more than two, 300 feet in front of you. And we're going out. Um, you got to go around this point. But there's this place called Race Rocks where it's probably half a mile out in, into the ocean. There's 
just like this rock island that you have to go through and it's it's so foggy you can't see so we're going out there and we're using the boat's gps it's got like gps and sonar and all that all that stuff on it uh obviously in the ocean so we're going out and kind of just following this pink line that we've gone out before just trying not to run into the rocks and you can't see the lighthouse but you can hear it kind of going off every so often so it's kind of sketchy and we we make it through and we're like ah oh, maybe it's gonna open up the sun's starting to come out maybe the fog's gonna kind of um dissipate but we so we get out nothing's really going on but the fishing was fantastic like maybe one of the best fishing days we've ever had out there we're catching you know 20 25 pound salmon um you know every 10 15 minutes uh just having a great time telling stories there's three of us on the boat um but then you start hearing like this horn go off and we're like, what's going on? It's foggy still, right? So you, you can't see anything. Well, then you start feeling waves and the horns get louder and louder and louder. And then you can start hearing this boat and it's an ocean liner. And like, we don't really know where, we know where we are, we got a GPS and everything, but you can't really see anything. You can't see the shore. So we might've been going in circles if it wasn't for the GPS, but this ship must have got 300 feet away from us and it's like holy and then you start feeling the waves after and it's like this like you can't really screw around on the ocean like it's gonna eat you up here so we're like ah fishing's too good we can't go back yet so we do a couple more passes and then all of a sudden out of nowhere it would look like it was like out of a movie this sailboat obviously and know sailboats don't usually have you know the radar and everything that you know other boats have this sailboat comes flying out of the fog. I'm talking a hundred feet away from us. And like, they don't really have that great steering capability and we're just trolling around. So we can't really get out of the way either. So we're just hoping that they see us because we're not moving that fast in the tide and everything. Thankfully nothing happened, but just a good story to have. And it was made better by the fact that nothing happened and we were catching lots of, lots of fish. Um, and then it, it did happen to clear off the, the rest of the day and we got back and I think we kept maybe three or four fish, um, you know, in the legal limits and then uh, went back, got some crab and had a nice little cookout that night. But um, always something I'll remember fishing in Victoria is, is that foggy day and, and um, using GPS to kind of get around. Well, and I can't even imagine the size. I mean, looking at those ships from a long ways away, they look big. To be with that close to one, it had to it had to completely take up the horizon from where you were you were sitting at, from what you could see of it at least. Well, it would have if we could have saw it, but so you never. Yeah, that's how you, you, you never. You never saw it. You you just you just you just you just heard it and you felt you the just, waves. Yeah, you just heard wow. it. That's I even mean, scarier because you're like, where is it? That's, yeah. That was that was the worry. So, I mean, oh. we knew we were close enough. Like we knew we weren't out in the shipping lanes, but like you still you don't know where it is. I mean, if we can't see, they probably can't see either. So, it was just they were probably going off their GPS and, and plotting charts as much as we were. Yeah, I like the lakes in Minnesota. After that story, not yeah. that I wouldn't go ocean fishing, but that certainly if there's fog now, I'm, I may I may retract my, oh, my thoughts about may that. retract. Yeah, yeah that, after that one, what's uh, I, I'm curious, Joe, because you're a tremendous storyteller. And all great storytellers, they exaggerate when they tell a story. I do the same thing. What's the uh, most you've ever exaggerated a fish size in a story? Uh, 
I don't know if it's exaggerated, but I'll tell people like I caught a 29 pounder, but I was, I really just netted it. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing. I, I, worse. The of the <laughs> I know that's worse, but um, no, I, I don't know. You, you tell people about fishing stories and I don't know, like, I honestly don't know if I exaggerate that much in fishing stories because you want to have some reputability like when you're saying you caught a 25 pound salmon and it was 12 next time you say that they're gonna be like oh it was nothing like you need some evidence here to to back it up so i like having evidence when i tell fishing stories that's legit i think that's fair that makes sense you gotta be able to prove it. yeah yeah <clears throat> so another story we wanted to get out of you because i actually don't know this one uh, and for anybody just tuning in on YouTube watching right now, they might be surprised when I'm sure you'll do your little trick for us, but you're missing your front teeth. And I, I've yeah. heard I've heard through, again, some GR connections that uh, your mom doesn't like when you take them off on camera, but we're going to ask you to take them off on camera for us. I, I'd love for you to show our fans that are watching on YouTube if they haven't seen it yet. And also, I don't know this. How did you lose them? <laughs> that one? Yeah, that one. Flipper. There it goes. Yeah. There it goes. It goes in and out. It actually fits well. My neighbor does it back home. So if I lose them or, or they get broken, uh, it's a very easy fix. Um, I lost them when I was seven, 18, I think, 18. Uh, it was at, I mean, see, this is a story I should exaggerate, but I'll actually tell you the true one because I'm a man of my word here. Um, <laughs> it was a, we were in Prince George, BC of all places, like the place you do not want to go. It's cold there. It's miserable. There's nothing happening. Um, it's dark all the time during the season. It happened at a morning skate. So the 16-year-old comes down, uh, Jared Dimitro. <laughs> he comes down, and we're just doing like two-on-ones in the morning skate and kind of lax, not lax days, but my, my stick's kind of like in his shooting lane. And he goes to shoot, and the puck hits my stick and just like rifles right up into my teeth. And I like close my eyes and I open it and my visor's just full of blood. And then I'm like, oh no, what's gonna happen? So I'm like, well, my teeth still there. So I start like feeling it with my tongue. Well, my teeth didn't really shatter. It's not like one of those ones where the teeth are on the ice. The puck came out, cut my bottom and top lips, but it they pushed my three teeth backwards. So like, they're just kind of like dangling there. So I can like play with them with my tongue. I can push them back and forth. And I do this all while I'm skating off the ice. Um, so go there, go see the trainer. We got gauze all over the place. He's like, well, you're going to have to go to the dentist. I'm like, well, yeah, I don't think we're saving these <laughs> well, things. Yeah. But so we're sitting there and obviously it's juniors. So like he's, there's only one athletic guy. So we got to wait for the, the rest of the team to get off the ice. And I, I remember my coach coming in like, where'd you go? Like, how come you left and didn't say anything? And I had this gauze and I took my gauze. I'm like, this is why my teeth are all mangled. There's blood everywhere. Um, so, yeah. So I went to the dentist chair for about three and a half hours. They, they broke them off, shaved them down, gave me some freezing. And, you know, I was so mad. I'm like, I just want to play now. So it took some time or whatever. I couldn't eat anything because it hurt too much. So I think I had like a, strawberry smoothie from like Starbucks or something and then played that night. And then uh, it, it was about two more trips to the dentist to get these things shaved down and taken out and everything, root canals. 
um, before I finally got to get my flipper in. So it was a tough two week period. Are you, is the flipper something that you're going to, just going to keep for life or is it like once the playing career ends, you go. Once I'm done, I think I will, I'll get implants or I don't even know what I need to do. That's, mm-hmm. that's something I can worry about later. Yeah. We're busy. We're busy people in the season. No, I, I know. I just, I, yeah, think, yeah. I think, I think a lot of guys are like that. They're like, I'll just wait till I'm done playing to get it all fixed. There's no, no sense in well, rushing to do, do it now because well, yeah, what if you lose God forbid again? they, uh, puck don't spend. Well, I, get yeah, again. I, I played with a guy who, and he was missing one, t- one tooth. Um, and he had a post put in, he was going to get a post put in and he had it done. And I mean, it cost a lot of money to do this. And it was like the next season he got a puck in the same spot and not, it not only broke the post, but it, it like mangled his jaw in there. So they couldn't even redo it. They had to do something else. So I'm like, I don't even want to deal with that. I'm just going to leave it as is. And when I'm done, I'll figure it out. No, that makes sense to me. I, it, well, I'm the guy wearing a birdcage over here. There's a reason I wear it when I play <laughs> men's league because I don't want to have that story happen. I made I've it, I made it through 100-some junior games with a visor. I got lucky. I don't, yeah. I'm done with After that, I said I'm not putting this back on. Um, you've been, uh, per usual, no surprise, gracious with your time, Joe. Before we let you go, I, I had to, to talk about it because it was one thing that was talked about in the room a lot this year was the the living situation you had with, with Adam Beckman. It was such a funny tandem, I think, at the beginning of the year, and so many guys said, boy, I'd kill to just be a fly on the wall when you guys are sitting there doing whatever it was you were doing because both of your personalities are just – you're fascinating guys, both of you, in very different ways. And so I, I can you tell us about how that kind of came about, and then is there – is there a, a funniest story or kind of a strangest story that maybe you guys had together this year rooming together? Because I'm sure there was a lot of good that came from it too, but there had to be some funny moments between the two of you guys. Cause you're both just hilarious guys. Yeah. Well, I don't know how it really came together. Uh, it was like the first day I walked into, so I went to Minnesota's training camp. Like I was like 10, 12 days early last year, a little bit earlier than I normally would just new team, try and get to know the guys, know where, I'm going and, and kind of figure out the, the lay of the land and meet everyone. But like, he was like one of the first guys I met because he was there doing the, the prospect game or whatever, the prospect tournament. Um, and he was like all like, you know how he is, all gung-ho and happy and giddish and everything. And and I walked out there, I'm like, this guy's been around a while. Like, how do I not know his name? Like, was he out east or something? So I started asking guys, and I'm like, well, ah, he's he's a rookie, he played like nine games. He's in junior last year. I'm like, I'm like, well, good on him for being a rookie, like rookie per se, and and being like that. But I just started hanging out with him, and and you know, went to baseball games with him and a couple other guys uh, during training camp. And then he was up there and kind of talked almost every day. Like, uh, well, I was obviously an, an older guy; had been through it, so if he needed to ask questions or wanted to know things uh i feel like you know he leaned on me quite a bit during training camp and and just um you know learning learning the ropes that way um and then he got sent down and we were both kind of looking for housing and and you know similar interests like we both wanted to be downtown and everything and i thought uh you know i could probably help a younger guy out and and maybe teach him the ropes so it just kind of happened that way um stories i i mean when we got home it, it was like quiet it's like we used all our energy up at the rink it was like <laughs> it was like we had to decompress a little bit but um 
Yeah, I would I would get him going at the rink and and he'd get mad wouldn't talk to me for a day or two at, at home, which was funny. And um, but we always got over it. Uh, I mean, we lived together. We drove to the rink together. We kind of uh, were inseparable, you know, in that terms, like whenever we were leaving, like it was like, well, let's go do this together. Let's do, let's do that together. Um, so now in that case, it worked really well. But um yeah, like yeah, I think it's with anything. It, if you're living together and you're, you're gonna kind of get pissed off at each other for fact, lack of a better term. But uh, no, it was it was awesome. Um, you know, who knows what happens this year? If he wants to go out on his own, that's fine. If not, uh, you know, maybe I want to go out on my own too. <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it was a great dynamic there, and and you know, it was happy uh you know whatever it comes out i maybe got to to teach him a couple things about living on his own and uh when you turn pro i think that's that's the hardest thing to do is kind of get all all those ducks in a row per se and and figure out how to live on your own and and cook and how to set this up and how to make sure that you have enough stuff in your apartment to to survive the first night And, and um so hopefully i taught him something you know one of those things along the way and uh you know i had a I had a great year with him i usually don't reveal my sources when i i try to draw stories out of people but this is a pretty obvious one because the only person who would know this would be adam beckman so he gave me a few nice tidbits that i wanted to ask you about first and foremost apparently you have a ridiculous amount of quote useless kitchen utensils <laughs> oh my is that true or false well, they're not useless. We used every one, but I'm unpacking and he's like, well, what's this? What's this? And like, I got an Instapot. Well, he's like, well, what do we need this for? I said, when I make ribs, you'll know. So there's my secret to ribs for everyone that Marquise, I know he's in the background. There's the, there's the key there, Marquise, Instapot. <laughs> um, I got a food processor for my mom for Christmas one year. Not that I used it that much, but I think we used it once or twice. <laughs> um, I, like a Keurig, like knife stand, toasters. I got a lot of stuff, but it's, it's not useless. It's, it's just yeah. stuff no. that somebody who's like just breaking in. I feel like someone, young kid, just yeah. becoming on their yeah. own, wouldn't normally have. Yeah, like I'm like, it's not useless. Like everything's got its its purpose. Like I got a hundred different cooking utensils. Well, you gotta you need them because. If you're making, you know, pastas and sauces and stuff, you need like two or three serving spoons. So it's just something like that. And I think he learned like one of the first couple of days he was like, what, how come you have all this? I'm like, just wait and see. Um, I'm trying to think that's about all the, all the useless stuff I have. I think that's about it. Well, you heard it here first. Not useless, not useless. Not useless. Well, maybe we'll yes. see what get back on here at some point to retort about uh, potentially yeah. the uselessness. I wonder what he would call the most useless. Yeah. I'd be curious. Utensil or, or appliance that he saw. What, if you said you have one, like you've got this one piece of equipment that you just never use, what is it? Or rarely use? Cause you said you used them all. So like, what's the most yeah. rarely used, used utensil? That food processor probably, yeah. or well, yeah, that's about it. But although, so useless stuff, Adam brought, he brought a magic bullet. It didn't leave the box all year. <laughs> so if there's useless kitchen stuff, you can talk to him because that thing did not leave the box all year. And he packed it in his car on his way home. I said, if we're living together, don't even bring that back. How about the- I don't know if I said 
I didn't say that, but <laughs> <laughs> how about uh, how about the first couch or TV stand at your guys' apartment? I heard there's a story behind that. Well, the TV stand sucked. It, we should have burned it in my charcoal grill. Um, it was too small, but it you know what? It worked. It was like two guys living there, and we're on the road half the time, anyways. It it held the TV and held my books and and whatever else I had under there. Uh, so it worked. The couch, a little small. Uh, I wanted to just go to, well, I forget the homemakers or whatever out there. And I was like, just let's go in there. We're just going to pick one off the lot, throw it back to the truck, and let's go. And he was like, ah, like I want this color, that color, this. So we'd like ask, I'm like, well, can I have this one? They're like, well, we got to order. I'm like, well, can we just put it in the back of the truck and sitting right here? Well, no, because, you know, it's like the demo. I'm like, well, perfect. It's already set up. It's like, just throw it back in the truck. <laughs> well, we, we'd have to order. I'm like, okay, when's it coming? April. I'm like, that is not going to work. So then, like, we'd see some, and then we'd go back, like, a day or two later, and it would be gone. Like, one of the, the floor models that we could have taken. And so then we looked online, and now – we, I had like this little toolkit, like to put stuff together and it's got a little tape measure and we're like, we're online going, well, this one's this size, this size. And it's like, we're like sitting there with a tape measure going, well, maybe that'll work. And so at the end of the day, and we moved in, like we moved in in like this four days at this point, <laughs> we moved in like in four days at this point. And we're looking, it's like, well, if we get expedient shipping, it's here in five or six days. So I'm like, just get it at this point. Like, just get it. Okay, so, so we buy it. The, I think the first day we had, like, my air mattress set up against the wall, like, just sitting on it because, <laughs> like, there's nothing else. Like, we had nothing in there to start. We had all my useless kitchen utensils that we couldn't use to, lay, like, relax on the couch type thing. Two guys that so can, can make a, can make a great, yeah, can make a great meal, just can't sit anywhere. <laughs> yeah, just can't support. sit anywhere. So, I mean, we did that. Um, and then we got the couch and we put it together. And I'm like, well, kind of small, like whatever, but whatever. So then we had to go buy this one of Papa's on chairs or whatever. So we had we had that too, which was nice, but it was it needed some work. I don't know. It was creaky and everything. I don't know. But Adam Adam found a bigger couch on Marketplace or Craigslist or something. So we went and got that. We sold the other couch and got a new coach that was bigger and more comfortable. It was more comfortable. Things were a little too but it was tight. massive. Guys, things were a little but too tight with the first massive. one. Massive. Yeah, it was. Then you went too big. You went from well, too small too, too big. big. Well, I don't think it's too big. I think that's gonna be the smallest living room you'll find in an apartment. So it's probably the right size. It just, it looked a little crammed in there. Well, guys would come over and say we were a furniture store because we had side tables and coffee tables, and chairs and a dining room table and chairs that were like stuffed in the corner because the couch was too big. And yeah, we had one guy called us the furniture store, but hey, we got it all out. That's what we may have to send Marquis this year. If you guys do live together, you guys move back in. We just may, ha may have to have him moving day with moving, moving day. day with Joe and Adam. Yeah. That could be a nice moving <laughs> Yeah. Um, Joey, anything else from you? I only got one final question for, for Joe that I want to get to. I'll let you wrap it up. Uh, the last thing we had to get to, uh, the the 
Canadian tuxedo this season, I think, really took on a life of its own, not only within the room, but the picture that I, I think you guys were, were on top of from the oh, marketing yeah. side and the Twitter side that blew out the people loved. Um, you're a cowboy at heart, aren't you? I like to say I'm, yes. I went, well, I've ended two rodeos this year, so I think I'm a cowboy. Like, I, you were, you went or you were in the rodeo? No, I went. Okay, I thought you said I went. I was like, went, oh, we got. I was no. like, hold on, stop, stop the presence. Yeah. Okay, yeah. no, I, it, it looks fun, but um, as I think of myself as a cowboy, her, I don't know if I actually have it in me, but no, my aunts and uncles, like we all have horses. They're up on ranches and stuff, so like, I've ridden horses and stuff before. Um, so this Canadian tuxedo idea was when we when I heard that we were going to do it, I was like the first in line at. Uh, horse or whatever whatever's just down the street that western wear store boot down barn, the street boot, boot barn yeah boot barn i think i was the first in line there looking for jean jackets i'm like i have the boots i have the jeans need a jean jacket and then i was in there i'm like wow i should probably get a cowboy hat too so i got a cowboy hat too and just kind of took took off with it from there and i had the bolo tie that i wore um so it was one of those things that we had a lot of fun with it um and we won the first couple of games, so that was nice. Although we wore them to, I think we wore them to Colorado. Yep. That didn't turn out too well, but good games though. Good games in Colorado, but yeah, you're right. The wrong result. Yeah, yeah, wrong result. Like we played well enough to win them, and I don't think we got a point out of that series. That's so right. it, it was tough. But I, I love the Canadian tuxedo idea. I thought that was the best. We should be wearing that every game. I think. Maybe you can get an exemption from Tim yeah. Tim this year where, well, where you, the real was, cowboy, can wear the, the Canadian tux anytime he wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, anyways, back to the road. So I went to it's May Ball, it's called. It's in the small town of Clinton, B.C. And I'd never been in. My family's from there, so all the cousins in there and, and aunts and uncles and everything. So we go there. I'm like, I'm going to May Ball this year. So I go to the, the rodeo, and I, I'm thinking it's like going to be like the Calgary Stampede, which I went to a couple weeks ago. But I go there and like, I'm like looking at these guys and being an athlete and kind of, I'm like, I could do that. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, you get down there and you see the size of the horses and everything. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Anytime soon. <laughs> but yeah, I went to two rodeos, had a blast. I think those things, I mean, they're great. The people like the, the bull riders and, and the saddle bronc and the, and the bareback riders, they're a little nuts. I think they're crazier than I am. That's saying um, and that that's saying a lot. Um, but no, hats off to those guys who get on those, and and not only at the rodeos, but you know those cowboys are doing that every day, and and you know their ranch and farm, and obviously taking care of the cows that you know make our steaks, you know at some point probably, and um, they take care of us. So uh, hats off to them. Thanks to them, and uh, very entertaining though. I I can't wait to go back to another rodeo at some point. What would you name your horse if you had to if you had to name a horse something? You, have you ever thought of a name for your horse, your trusty steed? No, I I don't know what I'd name the horse. Got to take some time to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's not well, they all got funny names. Like, so I went to the Stampede. Uh, I was there the first weekend. So then I was watching the rest of the rodeo every day, and like seeing some of the names, I'm like, who names a horse that? Like, there's like three three word names, and I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. But I don't know what I'd name my horse. It's like when people have like the racing horses; they're always absurd, obscure names. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know, go like Gus or something. Something, yeah, like it's something simple. I don't know if I name my horse Gus, but okay, I'm sticking by Gus. All right. 
Gus, your Gus, hey, yeah, I don't know, something, something fast or mean or I don't know, I don't know what I'd name it. I'd have to do some research on that one. Okay, we'll get back to you on that, uh, Joe. Yeah. Uh, this has been just fabulous, buddy. Always is. Uh, knew when we had you on the calendar, this was going to be fun. Um, did we miss anything? Is there anything you came on that you're like, I want you, I want these guys to ask about this. I don't know. Um, I mean, I've been fished a couple times. Nothing really spectacular. I guess I went chronomid fishing, which you guys probably have no idea what that is. I've never heard of that. So it's fishing for trout, um, rainbow trout in, in BC. It's more of a science. Like once you figure out where the fish are, this fishing this way is like, a, it's like a hack. Like you get a fish every five minutes, not even like every two minutes. Um, but you got to find the fish first. So you find this fish and then you have these, they, they make these little stomach pumps or whatever. So you stick it down the fish's throat when you release them and you can see what they're eating and they're called chronomids. And they these little bugs that they, they, uh, I guess their eggs are in the bottom of the, the lake. And when they're about to hatch, they float up, get to the top and then they hatch and fly away. Well, the fish love these things in the BC interior um so we call it match the hatch so basically you catch a fish you find out what the hatch is and then you find you have a like a hundred different hooks of different colors combination sizes and you try and match it to one that's that's going so you find out the depth you find the fish you use like surgical scissors that like like pliers that have clamps on them and you you attach it to the hook you drop it at the bottom you put a bobber on like eight to 18 inches off the bottom and then when you find the fish they hit but because it's so far down like eight sometimes it's 18 20 feet sometimes before the bobber goes down the fish will be jumping like in the air and you don't see it and it's like oh look at that fish jumping and you see your bobber going the rods going off and then it's like all on chaos because i mean fly lines it's a it's a form of fly fishing at the end of the day but their drags aren't really set that great. So sometimes if the fish is running, it'll spool up on you and then you just got a rat's nest or you can't reel it in because it's too small. So you're hand bombing it. And then if it gets tangled in your feet and the fish goes to run, like it'll just wrap around your ankles and it, it creates just chaos, but it's the funnest fishing you'll ever do when you're catching fish. It is boring because you don't know what you're doing if mm -hmm. you don't catch any fish. And that was the first hour of the day. But we got the fish. We got like 18 fish in a couple hours. It was fun. What do you think, marketing director? Gone fishing with Joe Hickett's a monthly fish. Yeah, we story gotta find segment. we gotta I mean, find gotta a, way a way to get out on a boat, yeah. do this, just tell stories over fishing couple gotta be a couple items throughout the year. Set some ice fishing up. I heard ice fishing is great during the winter there. I mean, the, considering the months they're here, there's really yeah, there's really about two of them. Have you, you been fishing out here at all since you've seen No, never. I haven't. No, we we looked during our pseudo All Star break, but we couldn't go, so we couldn't figure out a spot. Well, looks like we got to put on to our fishing. list of things to do this summer. Then I like look it. into that. I like it, yeah. Joe. Uh, thanks again, pal. Uh, can't thank you enough. Uh, enjoy the rest of your time on the water. Know you got to get to a workout here this morning, uh, so we've kept you long enough. Uh, best of luck in the gym on the water, and I uh, can't wait to see you back uh, with the Wild organization again this season. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben. Great talk to you, and I like your uh, attire today.
That's it for period two. On to period three. And a big thanks to Joe Hicketts, wild defenseman, and just all-around terrific human uh, for sitting down with us and, and giving just about an hour there to, to Joey and I. And, and could have given more. I think we will give him more. You know, oh, yeah. we, we obviously, this summer, we're looking more at people that maybe are outside of the organization now, but we're at one point within the organization. It, it's easier to get these people when the seasons aren't going on, whether they're working in hockey now or whether our season's going on. But the low-hanging fruit are our guys like Hicketts, Mermis, because they'll be here during the season. Yep. So those are both guys we think we'll probably have back on at some point when we, we hopefully keep this going throughout the season. But uh, just a, a fantastic chat with Joe. I laughed. I smiled a lot, which is normally the case with Joe. I, I didn't get to ask him, and I had it written down. We didn't get to it, but I wanted to ask him time he was most frustrated with the team services guy, though he did bring up <laughs> the Fargo trip. The Fargo um, trip, yeah. I can say we are not busing to Winnipeg this year. Um, it, it is a little convoluted how we're getting there, but it's not a full bus it ride from Des Moines to, to Winnipeg. Um, so uh, we're looking forward to that for sure. Uh, but uh, just great stuff from Joe, no surprise. Uh, and I really loved getting into Adam Beckman because right, right away – he and, and Beckman were two guys that, and I think the team thought the same thing. Not that you look at them, they're completely juxtapositioned personalities, but you're still just like, well, you don't know each other. One guy's it's the closing odd, in it's on the odd 30, one guy's 19. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and they're just, and, and they're, they were fast friends, and very true what he said about there was a couple times where he'd go after him in the room, obviously in, in good spirits. And as a young player, you're maybe not used to that yet. And Adam Beckman has been, you know, he's been the, the bee's knees of everywhere he's been. So all mm -hmm. of a sudden, and not that he didn't have a good year last year, but all of a sudden, I'm sure if guys gave him grief when he was playing for Spokane, he said, buddy, like I was the Bob, Bob Clark trophy winner. I scored more goals than you in one game and you did it all season. I'm sure yeah. you could use that line. You can't use that anymore. Yeah. And so Hicketts would go after him. And I can, I can vouch for that. There were some days where Hicks is like, yeah, he hasn't talked to me like all day. Like, I don't know. Like, is he really mad at me? I was just kind of joking around. Um, so a, a fun relationship there. Uh, the, the, the fishing stories were great. I do think we should try to do something with him, maybe in a boat yeah, or something. We Ron, uh, he talked about ice fishing. Yeah. Um, there, there's a way to do that. I, I think, and I, and you know, between the creativity that you have and, and the rest of your group does, I, there's a way to make that happen. I think so. Yeah. Great stuff from Joe. No surprise. Yeah. The, like you said, I was I was gonna get on the Beckman stuff too, but just that's something that's a unique relationship. Hearing about their furniture troubles, <laughs> the kitchen utensils, which when you had told me you were gonna ask about that, and and you said yeah, Beckman said he's just got a, a lot of useless stuff. We we're looking into finding out what it was, but as Joe starts rattling it off, like those are just things that just like an adult has in their yeah. kitchen, and not that Bex isn't an adult, but. You know, maybe his first time really living on his own. Twenty-one pro and, life, yeah. so like, it's he's probably approaching things like you would if you were in college, living in your own like apartment for the first get time. Get a Jack's very pizza, yeah, yeah, nothing ramen. You can make he's, all your things nice and simple. Now they got a big couch, they got end tables, a dining room set, like they got all these things. If if they had stayed on the air mattress, that's probably what I would have expected. So that's, yeah, I don't know. He loved your outfit, which I think I do want to say now that we're on the back half of the episode, I think you got a little lucky with the hockey equipment because we were able to lump. Usually we do this over a couple of days. We lumped our intro, our outro, everything was all in one day. So you did dodge a bullet there. You did dodge a bullet there. Let's, can, we, can, we, can we show the camera the palms of your gloves? Because those have seen better days. 
for sure. Marquise, we've got Marquise zoom in, Marquise zoom in on the on the gloves. Uh, I mean, I know you're not yeah, you're not playing a ton on anymore, but at what point do you just say, hey, maybe I maybe I either get new gloves or maybe just get them repalmed? What, when do you make that decision? I've thought about getting them repalmed. I have thought about that. Um, you know, the one thing you get I, a better feel for the stick when, uh, without not, the grip. There. Not with my hands; it doesn't matter. There, it's 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 you know, I'm chopping the puck into a square, no matter what these palms are good or not. Um, but hey, they worked at, they worked in floor hockey the other day. They did work. Yeah, in they floor did work hockey. in floor hockey. Yep, floor hockey's been a lot of fun. It's only one weekend, and I don't. We don't need to dive in too no, no, much no, no, into no, no, floor no. hockey. Most of that's going to be a little internal. I think we got to yeah, keep some stuff internal. Yeah, but we got you know over the summer. There's there's more downtime, uh, more availability on rooms in the building. So we're doing staff floor hockey with anybody who's who wants to play. I think we got about half the staff who wanted to play. Mm-hmm. So split everybody up into teams, uh, and we had our first game last week. Um, it was a fun one. We got another game. This this Thursday, circle on my calendar comes with full recap after the game. We sent out a press release internally to the staff. It's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I will say, uh, Noah Petrarca, I mean he he embodied spiritu- spiritually Dominic Hashim. Yeah, oh, that's he all I li- can think of. Literally, the way he came out to like Dominic came, coming out for poke checks, coming out like halfway up <laughs> yeah. the ice, and he got caught out of the net one time, and then had to leg back. saves. Yeah. Like, yeah, it yeah. was it was unbelievable. I know he's already talked about like yeah maybe i don't want to play goalie the next week but i don't know he's on our team i kind of want him to keep playing goalie yeah i mean he's he's a good player though too like yeah. he'll, he'll he'll be someone that contributes no matter where you slide him in he's he's utility infielder i yeah. think you could put him anywhere clearly now you could put him anywhere you want and yeah. he he would he'll add to your team again yeah, happy with my draft pick there yeah, yeah very very happy with That's my draft pick. pick yeah very very good um t- to finish uh, do want to uh we, we talked on the on the first period uh, tis the season uh, to, to to lock uh, to, you know to lock yourself up in Wedding marriage. Season. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, you know, we've had Richard Shaky Krause. We talked about the new strength coach Andrew Kayser getting married. Um, definitely want to uh, give a big uh, congratulations, uh, Allie Brown, our vice president of business operations. Who uh, I always say this to her because I mean it, and it's it's bosses stand behind and point. Leaders get out in front, mm-hmm. and they show you how to do things. They're with you there on the front lines. She is that to a T. Um, she really is is the one who, who who beats the drum around here and, and keeps us moving in the right direction. It leads from the front. So, um, you know, congratulations to Allie. And uh, let's see, this episode won't be out before her uh, her she's this married. This will be so, out before. And her still fiance uh, Chris, uh, yeah. and, and they're in pending nuptials. Um, so, congratulations to them. And you, you just you, you can't say enough good things about Allie Brown. And I know uh, she's been someone for you that you obviously deal with her a lot seeing as you took over her role from Mm -hmm. you know the head of marketing and um you know similarly i'm someone that deals with her a lot and is a great resource and a valuable resource for us uh, as we continue to to grow in our iowa wild tenure because i mean there's there's no one that's been here longer than her um you know with the exception of lisa rothling but that's because she predates into houston but as far as the iowa wild goes uh, you know, it's Allie Brown, and, and she has done so much for this organization. So a big congratulations to her and uh, her future husband, Chris. Yeah, like you said, she she leads the charge for us mm-hmm. here. So um, she's the one that everybody turns to if, if they need things, need answers, how have things been done in the past. She's She's been here through it all. So, uh, and obviously, you know, being a, a woman in sports, being in her position mm-hmm. is, a, is a huge deal as well. So um, very happy for Allie. Wish them nothing but a lifetime of you know success and happiness, and uh, well, we'll look forward to seeing her in a couple of weeks when they get back from their honeymoon. 
And we'll try not to bother her while she's gone. We'll try. <laughs> I already had to bug her last week. And like, I, I know, know it's not like her honeymoon yet, but like I was texting you Friday. I'm like, I'm that guy texting Allie. I she's know. out. I needed something. It could be tough, like, though. I mean, when you're when you're the one running point yeah. and a lot of approvals got to run through you. Well, and she knows that, right? I yeah. mean, that's like, that's nice. But still, I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, like you just, I, you don't want to be that person. As long as 3 yeah. o'clock on a Friday. Yeah. Just don't I think she was in Michigan, so it's 4 o'clock her time. Yeah, just, just don't, like, oh, just don't do it on wedding day. Just, that's the one thing. Don't, <laughs> don't do it that day. Well, it's funny. I wasn't sure when the wedding date was. And I was t- after I texted her, and I was like, is the wedding tomorrow? Like, I was like, oh, I, was, I, I had a complete panic. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I've what have I done? Yeah. And like no it's not so i'm like okay we're good we're good yeah. we're good um anything else joey what what have we missed what haven't we covered any uh any fun notes from you to finish or otherwise we can we can wrap it up by saying we're not again we're not, we don't promise guests anymore but <laughs> next week's guest is a really good one it's a really good one we'll say that much yeah yeah, yeah. again we don't want to promise we always guests. say as long they're as good we can, but as long as we can get it's get the most excited, it, with, with all the respect to all the, our, the rest of our guests, it is the most excited I've been for a guest so far this, this season. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think this is, this is going to be one that people will want to tune in for, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Not that they haven't, like you said, not that they haven't before. No. But this will be a fun conversation to have. Uh, maybe, I, yeah, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what direction it's going to take us. Mm-hmm. I feel like it could go, we could do more storytelling. We could get more into the nitty-gritty. I think either way, it's going to be fascinating for people to listen to. Mm-hmm. That's, that's our job, right? We, is it going to be our job to take it in the right direction? Yeah. So I guess we'll put both hands on the bus and we'll see, or on the steering wheel and we'll see where the bus goes. That's right. Well, Joey, thank you. Uh, a big thank you to Marquise as well. Uh, also to Jeremy Core and Executive Podcast Solutions for making uh, this listener uh, listenership possible. Um, and a big thank you to... Uh, Juan Soto as well for ha- making me wear uh, this this hockey gear. Make sure you um, go like, subscribe, so listen, all the fun stuff. Podcast isn't over now. yet, so this maybe you kind of just broke it. Maybe we got to do another week. I don't know. You let us know what you think out there, people. Should Ben have to do this again because he just forfeited the bet early? What do we think? Yes, no. no you let us down. know. Either way. Two Hawks for the win. Yes. Let's wrap it up. Uh, this has been episode six of Riding the Bus, presented by Explore Minnesota. Thanks for hopping on board. As always, two honks for the win. And thanks for listening.